back to Relic Radio Thrillers. Thanks for joining me this week. We're going to hear from Europe Confidential today in one of their episodes from 1957 titled The Air Race Affair. Presenting the world's greatest mysteries. And now, your host. This is Basil Rathbone. Once again, it's my pleasure to bring you an intriguing story of mystery. Today again, we have as our storyteller the young American newspaper man whose home is Paris and whose beat is Europe. Europe, a continent full of all the ingredients beloved by mystery writers and yet in reality twice as mysterious. Today's story is particularly full of suspense and yet is founded on fact. Of course, the names have been changed, but little else. There's a well-known saying that truth is stranger than fiction. Our story today is not only stranger, but more thrilling, more full of suspense than anything fiction can offer. Come with me, then, on another journey to the places where only a man in search of adventure would travel. In a moment, our play begins. Presenting Europe Confidential. There he comes. Hey, what's wrong? It's a bad landing. He looks like he's going to crash. In a moment, we'll bring you Lionel Merton as Mike Canoy, the Paris correspondent of a famous American newspaper, in another exciting story in our series, Europe Confidential. Mike Canoy on another assignment for my column, Europe Confidential. I was with the crowd at Beauvais Airport outside Paris waiting for the first of the planes in the Singapore-London air race. With me was Eddie Marshall, another correspondent, and, well, strictly it was Eddie's assignment. 
He was the aviation expert. I was simply there to pick up copy to fill the column. As we stood in the crowd, high above us, the first of the racing planes appeared. Oh, there she is. All right, Mike. Can you make out who it is? Where do I focus these guys? Well, it looks like the English entry. Flight Lieutenant Murray. That's the guy with the famous father, isn't it? Yeah, he's right in Papa's footsteps. That's him, sure enough. He must be an easy leader. There's the airfield, Frank. I'm with the crowd. How do you feel? Well enough to take over? I... Yeah, yes, I, I can manage now. All right, Tom. We're going down. Here he comes now. Hey, what's wrong? It's a bad landing. He looks like he's going to crash. Well, he's okay, I think. Bad landing. He's puffing. I think he's got her under control now. Yeah, it looks all right. Frank, are you all right? Yes, Tom. Okay, man. I, I'm sorry about that. I, I'm still a bit shaky. Forget it. Come on, let's get up. Here, I'll give you a hand up. Thanks. Hey, what about some coffee? Hello. It's the official reception by the look of it. Uh, Flight Lieutenant Marie, welcome to Beauvais and to France, monsieur. I am Marceau Léon, in charge of all airport arrangements. H how do you do, Monsieur Léon? Uh, my navigator, Tom Farrell. A pleasure, Monsieur Farrell. Glad to know you, sir. Uh, can we have a plane refueled? Our tank showing almost empty. That will be attended to. Uh, while I escort you to the club room for something to drink. Or uh, coffee, perhaps? Coffee, I think. Don't you, Frank? Hmm? Uh, uh, yes. Coffee. Good. Uh, you have a compulsory 20-minute break before resuming your flight in accordance with the race rules. Your plane will be guarded from the guards and serviced by our mechanics, so there's nothing to worry about. Uh, this way, monsieur, please. Uh, Lieutenant, I read your report to 30 minutes ahead of your nearest rival, the Spaniard, Lorcia. So you will be in the air again before he reaches the street. 30 minutes, eh? Better than I thought. We'll be in London across the finishing line with plenty to spare. <laughs> as long as the engines keep going, and you can have your sickness, Frank. Oh, sick? You have been sick with that skeleton? Then uh, perhaps that explains why you didn't wish to talk to these American journalists, eh? Well, well yes, I, I didn't feel like press interviews, I'm afraid. This is nothing serious, I hope. J just a bit off color, sir. It's lucky. Tom here is a competent pilot as well as a navigator. He's been handling the plane most of the way from Singapore, even taking off and landing. Oh, I'm sorry to hear of it, sir. Uh, but sickness would not stop Frank Murray if he is any son of his father. Eh? My father. You knew him. Oh, everybody knows your father, Flat Lieutenant. But that explains your landing, of course. I thought for a minute the plane would overturn. Yes, I took over the controls for the landing. I didn't realize I was so shaky. Oh, well, there is another ten minutes before you take off. Uh, perhaps I should call a doctor for you. Eh? No, no. I'll be all right, sir. Thanks. Just the same. Right. As you wish, monsieur. This is for the lieutenant, Mr. Leon. For me? Uh, thanks. <laughs> I didn't know you knew any girls in this part of the world, old boy. Eh? I said I didn't know you... Hey, what's the matter, Frank? Matter? Well, no, nothing. I... Look, I, I've got to see someone outside, Tom. Go right ahead. But don't forget the time limit's coming down. About nine minutes to take off. Oh, I'll do that. Don't worry. Uh, where's the lady who gave you this? Oh, thank you, sir. I'll take you to here. 
Lieutenant, he's not well, Monsieur Ferrand. No, he's not. Something's been bothering him ever since Singapore, and I'd like to know what it is. Perhaps it is the summer girl, the nerves. His father was the greatest flyer I have ever met, but he was always troubled by nerves before takeoff. I'm not sure what it is. Look, if you don't mind, I, I think I'll get over to the plane. I want to check everything is ready for the last lap to London. The nine minutes time limit ticked away, and with the plane refueled, navigator Tom Farron prepared for the last stage of the air race. Thirty seconds to go. What the devil's happened to Frank? He knows our time for takeoff. Hmm, this is strange. I expected him to be standing by. Already we have put two calls over the loudspeakers, and the crowd is beginning to wonder at the delay. Well, put another one over, will you? We must have completely forgotten the time. Certainly. Oh, look, monsieur. What is it? Frank? No, no, no. Look, up there, to the southeast. A plane coming towards the airport. Lost here? Yes, yes, it is a Spaniard. And already he must have gained ten minutes on you from your last radio report. If you delay much longer, the lead you have gained will be lost. Don't I know it? What the devil am I going to do about Frank? He's got to be found before I can take off. I agree, it would be better. Nothing in the hole says you cannot fly alone. Let's give him five minutes. Get that loudspeaker going, monsieur. Wait, I'm going to take a look round. He must be somewhere on the airport. He must be. Eddie Marshall and I weren't exactly surprised when Flight Lieutenant Murray refused to give us an interview. After all, they were near the end of a long flight, and their 20-minute break was a welcome respite. No, we weren't surprised, but what did surprise and intrigue us was the series of loudspeaker calls for the English pilot and the delay in the takeoff. Finally, with the Spanish Lothier only a brief 15 minutes behind, navigator Tom Farron made the only possible decision. Tell him to stand by out there, Mr. Leon. Wait. I'm going to fly to London alone. It made headlines, of course. The navigator who flew on and won the race. The pilot who disappeared. A whole series of rumors were started, and for three days the papers were full of it. But then, as always happens, public interest began to wane. There was tension in Berlin, the World Soccer Cup in Paris. The strange affair of Frank Murray was soon forgotten, except by those who had known him. I guess I didn't give it much thought until one day, several weeks later, Eddie Marshall came into my office. Mike, boy, we got an assignment. Yeah? A double assignment. You for the human interest angle, and me because I'm a so-called aviation expert. Well, what's cooking? Mrs. Murray is in Paris. Who? Well, Frank Murray, you remember. That's his mother. Oh. She called up the chief this morning and asked if he'd be interested in making inquiries about her missing son. She did that? Well, what did the chief say? What do you think? We have to get over to the Jardin Hotel to see her right away. You understand, gentlemen. The police have made no progress until I asked for their inquiries to see. I felt it should not be a police matter. You want us to try and find him, Mrs. Murray? Your editor is an acquaintance of mine of long standing. I have his word that the story will not be printed without my approval. Oh, you can rely on that. I simply want my boy found and to know that he's all right. Yeah. If there's anything I can do to assist your inquiries... Well, uh, I guess you could send us some photographs. They might help. Of course. I'm going back to London tonight. I'll send them by the first post. And your editor has promised to keep me advised of development. Now you get all kinds of assignments on a paper like mine. And early the next day, Eddie Marshall and I got started on the story. We went first to interview Marcel Leon. 
the official of the race club who's been in charge of Bovad during the actual event. It is a terrible thing, gentlemen. Terrible. And there has been no word from him since, you say? Not at all, Monsieur Leon. Uh, like Lieutenant was not well. He may have had an accident. Well, we've ruled out that possibility. Police checked the angle pretty thoroughly. But what else could have happened? Well, you and the police talked to that attendant who brought the note to Marie. What did he have to say? Oh, he knew the young woman who sent it. But, uh-huh. uh, you can rest assured, Mr. Connery, that inquiries in that direction will get you nowhere. What makes you so sure? Oh, this young woman is well known to all of us here at the airport. She's a tiny pilot and a very respectable person. Uh, what's her name? Very well. But I hope you're not going to be rash about your inquiries, Mr. Connery. Her name is Louise Reynolds. She lives at number 21, Rue de Serge, around it known for. Number 21, Rue de Serge, was a narrow house converted into an apartment building. Louise Reynolds lived on the top floor. I went to call on her alone because Eddie had gone back to the paper to cover another assignment. But we arranged to meet later in the day. I explained to Mademoiselle Reynaud the reason for my visit. That has not understand, Monsieur Canoy. The police have taken a certain from me. I told them all I can. Well, this is a private inquiry instituted by the mother, Mademoiselle. But suppose you go over it again, huh? Oh, there is really nothing to do. It was so stupid. Stupid? Well, I am a trained pilot, you see. Not a very good one, but uh, my interest is in airplanes. Yes, so I was told. I hear that you fly Lieutenant is due to land, so I go to the airport. I wish very much to meet this man, this famous flyer with the famous name. Yeah, like the kids back home go chasing the film stars, huh? Well, like, monsieur. So many have told me about his father, so many have said that his son may be even greater. I'm very scary. I write a note, and knowing one of the attendants, I asked him to give it to the flight lieutenant. And you met him? Oh, yes. He was very gracious. He talked to me, and then I left. I joined the crowd to watch him taking off. And then comes the news that he is missing. That's all I know. You haven't any idea where he went after he left you? I thought he went back to his plane, or to join the navigator. Mm-hmm. Well, nothing else you can tell me? No. Well, I'm sorry to bother you. I'll get up before your guest arrives. Yes? Uh, oh, you've noticed the table. Yes, I'm expecting a friend for lunch. Well, if anything comes up, I'll be at the office. You can always contact me there. Mr. Connor, what could possibly come up? Mike Connor. Mike, this is Eddie. I was on my way around to see you. Well, make it soon, will you? The photographs are right from England. I think we got a lead at last. I'd been away about four or five hours checking other leads after I left Louise Reynaud, and in that time, a whole lot had happened. First of all, Eddie Marshall showed me the pictures. Hey, she's practically given us the family album. Well, just about, Mike, but ignore all those for a moment, will you? Take a look at this one. Yeah? The guy in the Air Force uniform, so what? The rank of Flight Louis. Have you notice anything missing? Missing? Well, I guess you don't mean to count as buttons. Rank stripes, or whatever the RAF call them are there. Everything seems to be okay. Uh, wing, wings. That's it. No wing insignia over his left pocket. 
Forgot to put him on. That's what I thought at first. But then I got on the line at the London office, and they made a fast check for me through the Air Force records. My flight lieutenant Murray didn't wear wings because he wasn't entitled to wear them. What? You mean he wasn't a flyer? He was ground crew, recreation officer. Well, I'll be done. Well, you can guess how I burned up the wires to London after that. I had Paul Davies assigned to it. He made some pretty fast inquiries. Yeah, you've sure been at work. What happened? Well, through the Aero Club, he found out that Murray got his pilot's license only a year ago. He failed his RAF test. This beats everything. He's supposed to be a famous flyer. His father was a famous flyer. From all reports, Frank Murray is a very bad pilot. And yet he was in the air race. Mm. He flew that plane out to Singapore and then took part in the race. He, he was leading the field home. Well, Davies got on the telephone in London and he talked to Tom Farron, the navigator. Yeah? He learned plenty. Farron met Murray for the first time a few months before the race when he applied for the post of navigator with the aircraft and got it. Applied? Yeah. Well, you mean Murray advertised or something? Apparently. Anyway, Tom Farron was very tickled. After all, the name Murray in aviation isn't far behind names like Kingsford Smith and Lindbergh. Yeah, I know what you mean. Not that anyone he asked knew much about young Murray's flying ability, but they all agreed he held the rank of flight lieutenant, and that if he was anything like his father, then the race was as good as over. So all through this thing, Murray's been billed as top ranker because of his father, yeah. because no one woke up to the fact that his RAF rating was earned in a recreation hut. Well, that's oh, about it. Rather. There must have been some people who knew, of course, but certainly Tom Farron never met any of them. When they left London for Singapore, where the race was to start, that was the first time they'd ever flown together. Mm. And Murray suggested that his navigator do most of the handling of the plane just to get used to the feel of it. <laughs> what a boy. So Farron flew the majority of that trip, and occasionally Murray would take over for an hour or two, but always in the air. Well, what about the race itself? Well, Murray came to the starting line, a sick man. At least that was his story. Tom Farron handled the plane most of the way. And then Flight Lieutenant Murray took over and made that landing at Bove. Yeah. <laughs> I remember you saying it was one of the worst you'd seen. Well, Davies did quite a job on this. He knew that Farron had plenty of doubts about his pilot, so he let him talk. Yeah. Afterwards, he phoned up Mrs. Murray. The mother? What did she say? Not much over the phone to Davies, but just a few minutes before you came in, the chief got a long cable. Mm -hmm. She's pretty annoyed about the line our investigation's taken, and she says that her son is a great flyer. If we try to say anything otherwise, she'll make trouble. Well, what does the chief say? He says for us to get out and find Frank Murray fast. <laughs> We searched Paris. We checked the big hotels, the small back street places. We checked the bistros, the bars, Montmartre, Montparnasse, the boulevards, and the Bastille. For three days, we worked at it, getting nowhere. And at last, we called a halt. We sat down in my office to try and figure out a new move. Well, we sure covered some territory. There are hundreds more hotels to check even now. Yeah, that's supposing he's even in Paris. Yeah. All we know is he somehow got away from Beauvais Airport. It's an hour's drive to Paris. But he could have driven to Le Bourget and taken a plane for England. He could be anywhere. We need a break and it just isn't going to be one. Mm. Let's have a look at the guy's face again. You got those snapshots? The family album? It's right here. Thanks. Not that it'll make any difference. We picked out the best couple to show around. There's nothing much else there. One in a group and mm. one street snapper. The girl the mother didn't know. Hey. hey. What's the matter? The street shot with the girl. Look at this. I was taken in London. Mike, what's the matter? She's the one I told you about. The day my question. Louise Renault. Eddie and I didn't waste any time getting over to 21 Rue de Cherche. 
That is a photograph of Frank and I. It was taken when I visited London last year. Well, then you admit you knew Flight Lieutenant Murray before. It seems as if I would have to. We met and became friends. Is that what you wish to know? I want to know why you told such an elaborate lie before. What was the point? I... I... Maybe Mademoiselle Renan was alarmed at the idea of becoming involved in any kind of investigation. People do feel that way, Mike. Oh, yes, that's right. That was it. If it was known that Frank and I were acquainted, there would be talk that I was part of his disappearance. People were saying he might have been bribed to abandon the race, or that there may have been pressure on him to force him not to continue. I did not want to be mixed up in it. Of course, you knew uh, nothing of his whereabouts. I, I know nothing. Well, we'll have to continue our search. In case you hear anything, mademoiselle, you can reach us at the office. You know, uh, I wish I could find Frank Murray. I think he's running away from a myth. As long as you have to live a make-believe life, you can never be happy. Make-believe life? Well, I've always said nothing's so big that you can't talk it out. That's why I'd like to find him. We went back to the office and we waited. We waited an hour. Then there was a knock at the door. It wasn't even time to open it before the man we recognized pushed his way inside. Which one of you is Mike Connor? I am. You're Flight Lieutenant Murray. Listen, Connor. I came here for one reason only. To tell you to stay away from Louise Raynor. Do you hear me? Leave her alone. Well, take it easy, Lieutenant. We didn't want to hound her. She's a nice girl. All we wanted was to talk to you. There's nothing to talk about. Look, we've worn the leather off our shoes, tramping the streets searching for you. The hardest pavements in the world are right here in Paris. Don't you think that that gives us the right to a few minutes' conversation? All right. What do you want to say? Make it snappy. I haven't much time. It took us about ten minutes to break down Frank Murray's defensive dislike. In another fifteen, to give him an account of our search and the discoveries we'd made. At the end of it, he remained silent for almost a minute. And then, very quietly, he started to talk. There's hardly anything I can tell you. You seem to have it all. Even the part my mother played in this affair. Well, we're not very clear about that. Well, it's simple enough. My father was a great aviator, a man of the headlines. When he died, something went out of my mother's life. She used to say she hated the publicity, but that wasn't so. She missed it very much. She missed the adventure, the thrill of being the center of a crowd at the end of a record-breaking flight. When I was a boy, she filled my mind with the stories of my father and his deeds. She desperately wanted me to be like him, and, well, I grew up wanting that, too. But you found it was a little beyond you. I failed in the math and sat out the war in an office. Yet, all the time, I wanted to do this thing, to be like my father. And some way, after I got out of the Air Force, I, I found the courage to take flying lessons. You got through those all right. The instructor in charge was an old friend of Dad. I don't think he should have let me through, but he did. Probably for Mother's sake, because he knew just how much it meant to her. Mm -hmm. But... I didn't realize that. I thought I was great. I had all the confidence in the world. And you decided to enter the air race. Yes. It wasn't a very important race. It seemed a good way to start. I was going to show the world. And my mother, most of all. But I, I couldn't go through with it. I was sick, all right. When we took off from Singapore, I was scared sick. And by the time we reached France, and I was barely able to land the plane, I... 
I knew that was the end of it. And then when Louise, whom you'd known in London, sent a note at the airport asking to see you, she was the logical person to turn to for help. Yes, that's how it was. We got away from the airport in her car, and she hid me out while the police were searching for me. I knew that wouldn't last long. Her mother wouldn't have enjoyed that kind of headline, showing me up for what I was. A coward, you think? Well, what do you think? Look, we're all of us afraid of something. Only you tried to make the thing you're afraid of your whole life. You've been trying to create an existence that'll carry on from where your father died. Nobody can do that. I think the sooner you make that clear to your mother, the sooner you can start to live a life of your own. Well, that's how the story finished up, with Eddie and yours truly distributing advice, hoping the guy would have the intelligence to see that we were talking plain common sense. Well, it turns out that he did. Louise Raynaud came to see me at the office a couple of days later. A radiant, very different Louise. Frank had gone home and laid down the law to his mother. And he was on his way back that same afternoon. Louise, incidentally, came along to ask Eddie and me to be witnesses. You need them in Paris when you decide to get married. have been listening to Lionel Merton as Mike Canoy in another exciting episode in the series, Europe Confidential. This is Basil Rathbone again, and so our journey into the realms of mystery is over. Soon, however, I'll be back with more of these tales of mystery which I know we all enjoy so much. Well, goodbye now till we meet again to listen to another of the world's greatest mysteries.
thriller for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Find more from Europe Confidential, past episodes of Relic Radio Thrillers, and everything else Relic Radio at the website, relicradio.com. You can donate through that website if you'd like to help support this and all of the shows as you all have been doing for the past 15 years. Thanks to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me this week. I'll be back next week with a story from The Chase on our next episode of Relic Radio Thrillers. Thrillers.